Hello and a warm welcome as you join us on Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with teacher Brian Johnston. Thanks for tuning in for the second study in this new series about salvation. During the next couple of months, Brian will be considering if a Christian could profess Christ as their saviour but still be lost. Today, Brian's chosen to discuss whether it's possible to be a worldly or carnal Christian. And here is Brian. Thanks, John. Anthropologists tell us there are three kinds of people in the world, but biblically, we are all one human race. There's no basis for being a racist if you take the Bible seriously. The Bible, however, might at first glance seem to have a classification scheme all of its own. It has been viewed as dividing us into three kinds of people. Let's hear from Paul as we break into 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and from verse 14. He says, But a natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, but the one who is spiritual discerns all things. And I, brothers and sisters, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but only as fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Well, perhaps you picked up from that reading what's been suggested as the three types of person. They are people who are natural or else spiritual, but these latter may also be carnal, meaning fleshly or even worldly. To be more definite, if we were to stick to the language this part of the Bible was originally written in, the words are Suchikos, pneumaticos, and sarkikos. Let's take the first of the three. That means we're starting with suchikos, or natural. This refers to someone born into their natural family and living in a natural way. Next, we have pneumaticos, or spiritual types. This refers to someone born again into God's spiritual family and living in a spiritual way. Finally, we come to a potential third category, sarkikos. And this one is a bit more controversial, for here, sarkikos or carnal is often taken with the meaning of a worldly Christian. This describes someone born again into God's spiritual family, but living in some areas of their life in a natural way. Why did I say controversial a moment ago? Well, when Paul was asked, what must I do to be saved? He answered, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's Acts 16 verse 31. Note the title there, Lord Jesus. It's not possible to trust in Christ as Saviour without necessarily confessing Christ as Lord. It's not possible to profess genuine faith without first having repented of sin. We deny that anyone can be saved by their own good works. But equally, we affirm the place of good works in the subsequent Christian life of the true believer. The Bible is crystal clear that we are justified not by works, but by faith alone. For example, Galatians 2 verse 16. But the Bible is equally clear that the faith that justifies us is never alone. Any true profession of real faith will show evidence of some works, for obedience springs from faith. Romans 1 verse 5. 
If we never see good works in another person, we must at least doubt whether they are really a Christian. Loving Christ means we obey him, John 14 verse 15. On the other hand, obedience will never be perfect in this lifetime. The presence of sin makes sure of that. But true faith will inevitably result in obedience, however imperfect it may be. True Christians live a life characterised by a war between the Holy Spirit and the flesh. That's our old sin nature. Sometimes our sinful nature seems to be winning more battles than the Spirit. This was true of the Apostle Paul himself as he confesses in Romans chapter 7, saying he often did things he didn't want to do. It's especially true when we're still spiritual infants. It doesn't mean we're not saved because the presence of a desire for obedience, such as Paul expressed, and a desire to do good works, prove otherwise. If and when someone has said the sinner's prayer and asked the Lord to save them on one occasion, we must wait to observe fruit before we can be confident to consider them a true and genuine believer in Christ. It's safe to say that it's not possible to be born of the Spirit and for there to be no change whatsoever in a person's life. In his parable of the sower, in Mark chapter 4, the first 20 verses, our Lord illustrated how it would be possible for someone to receive the word and grow spiritually for a while, but then become discouraged by difficulties or become entangled in the things of this life that act like thorns, strangling any visible Christian lifestyle. We have to be so careful in our assessments of others. It would be unwise then, or indeed wrong, to try to establish this third category of those who are carnal in the same way as the first two categories of those who are natural or spiritual. For that would be to raise the spectre of an old heresy called antinomianism. Anti means no or against, and nomian means law. In other words, Antinomianism is the teaching that a Christian may practice a lawless life without the rule of Christ in his or her heart. Early in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul rebuked the church as a whole for a measure of carnality in their lives. They were acting as unregenerate people in an area of their lives. For as long as there was jealousy and envying, there couldn't be any teaching of the deeper things of the Lord. Yet, they weren't altogether without evidence of the Spirit. Paul wasn't saying they were living without any spiritual fruit in their lives. In fact, he said in everything they were enriched by Christ, in their words, thoughts and life. That then begs the question, was Paul saying that the Corinthians' lives were characterised by carnality as a whole? Or were these people with new hearts, who were producing authentic spiritual fruit, but as all believers do at times, they were struggling with various areas of their lives, and it was affecting the whole church in this instance. This may lead us to query if Paul was indeed dividing people into three classes, natural, spiritual and carnal. If we were to hold to that threefold division in some sense, we'd want to make it quite clear that to style some as carnal is not to say that some Christians may legitimately be characterised as carnal as a whole, only 
that it's a description of believers who typically and visibly display sinful behaviours, such that it's a prominent feature, sadly. Let's hear again from the Apostle Paul, but this time from that great chapter we know of as Romans chapter 8. He says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Romans 8 verses 3 through 9. We can here identify the same three categories of people we were talking about earlier. First, those who are in the flesh. Second, those who are in the Spirit and living in accord with the Spirit. And third, those who are in the Spirit, but living typically in accordance with the flesh. In other words, those who are in the flesh are natural or unregenerate people, who have not yet come to Christ, acknowledging him as our personal saviour. Whereas those who are in the Spirit and living in a prominently spiritual way are, of course, the spiritual people, as we called them before. They are not only in the Spirit, but they're also living in accordance with the Spirit. They allow the Spirit to control their lives. And finally, or thirdly, we have those who are in the Spirit, but are living mostly in a natural way. These are Christians who, sadly, are living in lots of ways the same as unbelievers. They're in the Spirit as to their salvation, but they're living in accordance with the flesh or sin nature within them. This is where some attach the unfortunate label of carnal Christians, although that should be a contradiction in terms. Never settle for that, although we may meet some who claim to be happily resigned to living with a foot in both camps. That's not at all God's plan. To see that, let's return to the first part of our reading from Romans chapter 8. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What was it that the law could not do? Ah, you say that's easy. The law could not of itself bring us salvation. Fine. But thinking back to our previous study, what exactly do you mean by salvation? I put it to you that what the law could not do was it could not bring about our salvation in terms of our sanctification. Remember, this includes our response to our salvation. When the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in the life of a Christian believer on the Lord Jesus, this means that person is living in accordance with the Spirit. He or she is a spiritual person, someone who belongs to God's spiritual family, and is overall living in a spiritual way. Let's make that our ambition.
I hope you enjoyed today's study and don't forget that you might find it helpful to have the transcript book of all the talks in this series. You can obtain a copy by downloading it at churchesofgod.info forward slash media. Otherwise, you can write to us and ask for a hard copy book to be posted to you. Just ask for the book for this series about salvation and don't forget to include your postal address so we know where to send it. You can use email or the post, and here's our postal address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Well, it's been a great joy to have the privilege of your company once again, and I hope you can join me next week when Brian will be addressing the question, is it a case of no holiness, no heaven? But now I must say goodbye and very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, we wish you God's richest blessings. Lord,